In the name of God, who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Good morning. Y'all look so cute, all bundled up. When I was growing up, I often felt like I was on the outside looking in. And more than anything else, especially when I think back to like elementary school, some in middle school, but just really elementary school, I wanted to be popular. I wanted to be accepted. I wanted to be one of the cool kids in the inside circle. Man, if they could see me now. Um, <laughs> not a lot of clergy on the inside circle. But uh, in elementary school, I knew. In fact, I was sure that the way to get into the inner circle the way to be liked by the popular girls and cool with the popular guys was to have a polo shirt. It's a polo shirt. Not the fake polo, the royal knight where the guy on the horse had a little flag, but no, it had to be the real deal. It had to have a stick. It had to have the polo stick. Um, and so I begged, and I begged my parents for months. I always remember, every time we would go to the, the department store, please can I get a polo shirt? They were too expensive. Finally, finally, my birthday came and my blessed grandmother gave me the hallowed polo shirt. I remember opening the box and there was this warm light and angels were singing. <laughs> and the day after my birthday, I swaggered into that school. I was ready to take my place in the inner circle. Nobody noticed. Nobody noticed. They were still them, and I was still me. Maybe being cool in the third grade involved more than wearing the right shirt. We all want to be on the inside, don't we? As the years went on, I would discover that even the people on the inside never really feel like they're on the inside, so they constantly are doing things to prove to the other insiders that they belong there. This doesn't really change much for adults. We are much more sophisticated with our insecurity. I've known many well-respected executives who were terrified that their colleagues would discover that they were really not much more than a scared little kid in a grown-up suit. We want to be insiders. We work hard to be insiders, but we still feel like outsiders, and we hate feeling like outsiders. Well, the gospel passage, read very enthusiastically by Jennifer, picks up where it left off last week. And if you remember Father Trent's sermon, if you're here, Jesus has come home to Nazareth. He is in synagogue. Uh, he, this is likely the synagogue where he grew up, right? It's where he attended Hebrew school as a little boy. It's where he had his bar mitzvah. And everybody there remembers him. They watched him grow up or they grew up with him. It's a small town. They know Mary from the market. Joseph made the breakfast table. Jesus is a known commodity. Another thing to consider about the context of this story is that throughout Israel, Nazareth was hardly considered prime real estate. You remember what the disciple Nathaniel says to Jesus before, or said before he met Jesus, can anything good come out 
of Nazareth. And so in this backwater little town, Jesus stands up in front of his hometown crowd and reads from the scroll of Isaiah. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me to preach good news to the poor, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the recovering of sight to the blind, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Do you remember this from last week? And Jesus rolls up the scroll and he sits down and every eye is upon him is this, this sort of pregnant silence. And Jesus delivers the shortest sermon in recorded history. Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Everyone is so happy. They're amazed They're marveling. And, you know, if you stop and think about it, that is weird. I mean, they could have just been outraged right there. Like, Jesus had just done, like Trent said, the the big reveal. I'm the one that Isaiah was writing about centuries earlier. I'm the deliverer that all Israel has been waiting for. They could have thrown up their hands and shouted blasphemy. No, they... They seem fine with that. They're happy. And I think they're delighted because he's one of us. The Messiah grew up here. He's our guy. He's old Joseph's son. And if he is one of us, what does that say about us? Immediately, they're insiders. And they're ecstatic. And it could have just ended that way if Jesus would have kept his mouth shut. (laughs) But he didn't. I don't think that he's trying to pick a fight. He perceives their proud insider hearts and it's a spiritual problem. And he loves them too much to leave them there. And so he's exposing this problem in their hearts when he says, doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, doctor, cure yourself. It was apparently a common proverb then in those days that essentially meant one should not benefit others while refusing those same benefits to their own family or their own inner circle. For instance, if Bill Gates was doing everything he could to to solve world hunger... But his own children were going hungry in the meantime. Someone might say to him, doctor, cure yourself. That's sort of a silly example, but that's what it means. Jesus is addressing their insider mentality that says, you're one of us, so you owe us some of the privileges. Do for us what you did in Capernaum. Give us the magic show. Give us the magic show. And so Jesus gives two Old Testament examples of God passing over his chosen people's needs, passing over the insiders and healing the outsiders instead. One was a poor Canaanite woman, the widow of Zarephath. And the other was a rich and accomplished Syrian general, Naaman the leper. The insiders passed over. The outsiders were blessed. 
And these Nazarene would-be insiders hear this, and they are furious. They are apoplectic. They would have killed him. It just wasn't his time. Actually, I have no imagination for what it looked like for Jesus to just pass through their midst. But these Nazarenes, I mean, just a minute ago, they were from Nowheresville. But immediately their hearts seized on this insider mentality, and they weren't going to give it up without a fight. But I wonder if you can see that Jesus is turning the idea of God's acceptance on its head. Because see, if, if Jesus came to proclaim good news to the poor, it's not good news unless you're what? Poor. If, if Jesus uh, came to, to uh, set the captives free, it's not good news unless you admit that you have been held captive. And this is the paradox of the gospel. If you think you deserve God's acceptance, you're going to get left out. But if you accept that you're rightly on the outside of God's acceptance, then you are who he came for. Now, what do I mean by that? If we say to God or to ourselves, well, sure, I mean, there are some better than me, but there's certainly some who are worse, and therefore God will surely accept me. In fact, since I could have been so much worse than I am, he owes it to me to accept me. That this is the insider mentality. After all the good I've done, or at least all the bad I decided not to do, or at the very least because I can think of people who are worse than I am, God owes me. The insider mentality waves a resume at God. Look at all I've done, at least compared to others. But on the other hand, the outsider admits where they fall short. In fact, admits that they are an outsider because they've fallen short. The outsider, therefore, never ceases to be amazed and delighted when they're embraced. And this is why these two Old Testament stories that Jesus alludes to are perfect, complementary illustrations. One is a poor, powerless woman, and one is a rich and powerful man, polar opposites of one another, but neither of which has any rightful or righteous claim on God's favor, ethnically, morally, legally. By rights, they were both outsiders. They had nothing to offer to God but their own need in a plea for mercy. And they received mercy. Because Jesus did not come for the self-sufficient. He came for the poor, the captive, and the blind. We don't like to think of ourselves that way. It's offensive. We get, we get angry like the Nazarenes. But when we're ready to admit that according to the righteousness and the holiness that God requires, that according to that, we're among the poor. That we're captive to our own sin. When, we, when all we really have 
before God as a plea for his mercy, then we're in. Then we're ready for Jesus. Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. Because it's the cross where Jesus took our poverty upon himself that we might become spiritually rich. It's the cross where Jesus became captive so that we might be set free. The cross is where Jesus took our sins so that every day would be the day of the Lord's favor. So I moved on out of elementary school and into middle school and high school. I was, I was always well aware of my insatiable desire to be on the inside. You can call it insecurity. Call it a desire to be loved and accepted. <laughs> call it middle school. But I wanted to be on the inside more than anything. I wanted to be at the top of the ladder. And so, I, I mean, I had friends, but I would still, it was never enough. And so I picked up my peers' habits, I picked up their hobbies, I picked up their vocabulary, I picked up their clothing style, all to be on the inside. It was a fool's errand. Until I met Jesus. I found that I was accepted. I was loved. I was on the inside. Not because Jesus saw my polo shirt. He did, but he wasn't impressed. Not because Jesus saw something special in me that others had missed, and certainly not because I deserved it. It was only by his grace. You know, like those in the Nazarene synagogue, grace is infuriating if you think you deserve it. Then again, grace is only grace if it's unearned and freely given. So friends, let your guard down. Show Jesus all your off-brand shirts. Show him how you're poor and falling short. Bring to him how you've been bound by your sin. Confess your propensity to spiritual blindness. And trust the grace Trust that you will receive mercy and enjoy that he came for you. Amen.